they said good morning, and um, I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm working or when I'm driving, and, and um, what I like that they've done now uh, is that they give you a warning beforehand. If it's going to talk about a controversial subject or it's going to use some foul language, a lot of times they'll give you a warning, which is nice. They'll say, you know, this may contain such and such. So I just want to warn you. It's a Sunday afternoon, and we're going to use the word hunger and thirst. So I apologize. Um, we're going to talk about hunger and thirst. But never fear. There's some food downstairs. And so actually, I'm thinking about this. Since we've moved the, um, the church meeting ahead a week, we've got provisions. We, we could do this for a while. You guys got food and drink? Do you want to eat while I'm speaking? That's fine. But... Um, no, I'll be kind. Um, I, hope you, I hope you have enjoyed, but more than that, I hope you've truly been blessed as Aaron has been teaching through this section. I'll be honest, when, when we got here and he said, we're going to go through these one at a time, I sat in the pews and I said, whew, good luck, brother. I could never preach on such a short verse. And, um, well, here I am. So, uh, but I really do, I hope you have been blessed. I hope you've been, been learning. And um, I wonder, do you ever use your imagination when you come to Scripture? I was, I was quite tickled this morning as we were listening to um, Sunday School. We were listening to a video, and the speaker asked the folks, asked us, the viewer, to imagine. I was like, oh, this is brilliant. I was going to do the same thing. And I want to ask you to imagine you were there. Okay, let's just take a minute. We're going to use our imagination, informed by the scripture, and we're going to do a little bit of review. So imagine we're sitting on that hillside with Jesus. The disciples are there. We don't know how many other people are there. It was probably hot like it is today. Maybe not as humid, but hot. The sun's coming down. And there's Jesus sitting down, as would have been customary, teaching. And he just, he wasn't just teaching, the, the reviews that we have from Scripture, the report from Scripture is that people heard him speak, and he, they said, who is this teacher who speaks with such authority? And this is what he was saying, uh, Matthew 5, and we're going to read a little bit beyond our text for today, but imagine this, we're on this hillside, here's this man, I think there's a case to be made for Jesus being a rabbi, I wouldn't build a church on that, but I think there's a case to be made for that. So we, either way, he was a respected teacher sitting on the hillside. says, seeing the crowd in verse 1, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So when the teacher sits down, he's going to start teaching. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Now, we don't know what Jesus' voice sounded like. We don't know what his delivery was like. But we know his words, and these are the words, the historical spoken word of Jesus Christ. And as I've mentioned, when he spoke, he spoke with authority. I want to, before we get actually to our particular verse, which is verse 6, I want to take you to a brief description. Actually, it's one of the greatest descriptions we have in Scripture of who this is that is speaking. Jesus. When the people said he spoke with authority, why did he speak with authority? Listen to this description in Colossians 1, 15. This is Jesus. The man who is sitting on this hillside in the heat, making these declarations. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And I could go on. So when this man, this son of a carpenter from a dead-end town, was sitting on the hillside saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He wasn't just some random guy who had an epiphany one day in the workshop and figured out how things worked. He wasn't like Albert Einstein who was sitting in a patent office somewhere. And Albert Einstein, brilliant man. And as he's sitting in this patent office, he started to get a clue, an idea of how the universe physically functioned. No, 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 no. Jesus did not have an epiphany and figure things out. Jesus was as much declaring the way things are going to be as he was making it happen. When Jesus says... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yes, he is declaring a truth, but it is also a truth because Jesus has declared it so. Do you see that? Can you see that? The passage in Colossians told us he is, if I can paraphrase, the originator and the linchpin of creation. So if Jesus says a thing, if that teacher sitting on the hilltop 2,000 years ago said a thing, it is true because he says it is true. What a comfort. So as we approach these things, and as Satan tries to speak into our mind, maybe on Monday morning, maybe first thing Monday morning, maybe on the drive home, as you're thinking about everything, you think, are the poor in spirit really going to be inheritors of the kingdom? Can I really be meek and let God take control? 
will I really be comforted in my mourning as I look at this wicked world and it grieves me? Will there be comfort as I see the sin and the unrighteousness pervasive throughout the world and in my own life as pride rears its ugly head again, as anger, as whatever? Let me encourage you, brother. Let me encourage you, sister. The firstborn of all creation said it is so. So it is so. It is so. And we have no right and no cause to ever doubt that. Ever doubt that. Amen? Amen. So, I had to throw that in there somewhere. Figured we'd, we'd do it at the beginning. But uh, our particular verse for today, with all of this in our head, is verse uh, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, before we explain that or describe that, and, and what I want to do is, is really ask, what is this righteousness? What does it look like to hunger and thirst for it? And why is it that we will be satisfied? Those are the three questions we will, we will answer. What is this righteousness? What does it look like to hunger and thirst for it? And how will we be satisfied? Um, I want to make an observation on the Beatitudes in general up to this point. I don't know if you've noticed, but all of the Beatitudes, including, including the one that we're looking at today, are kind of um, passive. Have you seen that? And they actually build on each other. Uh, if we start with blessed are the poor in spirit, well, we learned that uh, this poor in spirit, we recognize we, it is revealed to us that we have nothing before God. We are helpless. We need him. There is, there's an emptiness, if I can use that word. There's an emptiness to this. Um, those who mourn, that's, that's um, yes, there is, there is a promise of comfort, but that mourning speaks again to an emptiness. The meek, we are relinquishing control, aren't we? We're relinquishing the right to take charge of the situation, to exercise what we feel is our right or our power. And there's an emptiness there. There's a letting go. And then as we get to, obviously, we get to blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Well, hunger and thirst, that speaks to what? an emptiness, a lacking, a lacking. And we sort of mark a transition here. Uh, unlike some religions, like Buddhism, that just wants you to get to this point of where you've let go of everything in emptiness, uh, we're going to move into a phase where once we've let go of these things, there is a filling, a filling. And so we're standing at this place of, of relinquishing, of emptying, we find ourselves hungry and thirsty, and now it's time to fill up on something. 
on something. And that something is righteousness. It's righteousness. Um, and boy, it comes with an unqualified guarantee, doesn't it? Because you're hungry and you're thirsty for righteousness, you're blessed and you will be satisfied. Now, how many times have we heard satisfaction guaranteed? How many times have you heard that in the course of your life? Um, satisfaction guaranteed or what? Your money back. I like Aldi's promise. You pick up their groceries and they have the twice as nice promise. You know? I tell, I tell my daughter Gianna all the time that she's twice as nice as rice. So uh, I, I'm tickled every time I pick that up and I see twice as nice. It makes me think of Gianna. But, um, but it's always with a qualifier, right? We guarantee this will satisfy. We guarantee this is twice as nice. Or your money back. And then you got to go find the small print to find out how you get your money back. So they always make a provision that there's a chance it, it might not actually satisfy. Right? And that's kind, of a, that's kind of a superficial, kind of a silly example. But we could take this even deeper. We don't have to look very far to see that all of humanity is hungry for something that satisfies. I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics lately. These are some hungry people. They're really hungry. They're seeking some sort of existential satisfaction in a medal, in a record. It doesn't work, does it? Have you ever heard of an Olympic athlete say, you know, I'm in the prime of my life. I've got five medals. I am good. Let someone else break the records and get the medals. No, they usually say, they usually say, I can't do this anymore. It's time for someone else to take over because I just can't do it anymore. I remember many years ago, um, a football player, I think he was for the, for the um, and I'm talking about a subject that I am woefully ignorant of, so I'm expecting some grace here. I think he played for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Ricky something or other, you guys can help me out here. He gave up an amazing football career and rookie year because he wanted to smoke pot. He just wanted to take his money, chill out, relax. He said, this I thought football would satisfy me. Now this will satisfy me. Well, you know what happened? The highs weren't as high anymore. The money started to run out. And he tried to get back into football many years later. And it, to the best of my knowledge, it didn't really pan out very well. And it gets even more serious, doesn't it? It gets even more serious. How many have poured our lives into a career or a relationship, or a project that we thought was going to satisfy us. And it doesn't. Every career comes to an end. And every relationship comes to an end, whether through death or something else. But here, here we have something 
that is guaranteed to satisfy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they shall be satisfied. So let's start by asking, what is this thing that we are called, we are, we are encouraged, we are blessed if we hunger and thirst for? Righteousness. It's right there in the text. Righteousness. What is righteousness? I should probably look at my notes at some point. Well, the biblical definition of righteousness is this. Um, it is all things that God has decreed and declared. So that would be his word. And then more specifically, all things that come into agreement with both what God has said and declared in his word and that come into agreement with his character. So, let me say that again. Righteousness is everything that agrees with what God is and, and what he has said. But it's not just... Um, It, it's not just those things. It's those things with an eye toward being right with God. The word was originally translated right-wiseness. Right-wiseness. Now, that's kind of awkward to say, but we really get a sense of what that means, doesn't it? Don't we? Doesn't it? Don't we? Don't we? Got it. So, right-wise. So let me read the verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right-wiseness, for things that come into agreement with God, with who he is, what he said, his very nature, his very character. Make sense? Now, I was talking to Aaron about this, and I love the way he phrased this. He said, uh, Matthew talks about a very practical righteousness. A very practical righteousness. And we can look at the text itself to get a sense of what this is. I mean, uh, we only have to go uh, a little bit further. And in this very same sermon, Jesus is going to tell his people, look, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not get into heaven. So we see that the righteousness um, is uh, sort of an active thing. We're moving from the passive to the active, a, a way of walking, a way of living. And in fact, um, in verse 10, we're told, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So blessed are those who are persecuted for right-wiseness, for conformity to what, who God is and what he has said. Unless your conformity to who I am and what I have said, says the Lord, surpasses that of the Pharisees, you're not getting into heaven. We can turn ahead a little bit. You don't have to go there, but a couple of verses that in their context 
help us get a sense of, of this righteousness. Um, let's start with, oh, let's go to 2 Timothy 2.22, I think would be good. Second Timothy 2.22. It's, again, we're moving from sort of the passive to the active. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with these who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so we're going to get a further sense of what righteousness is by looking at the opposite of it. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, for you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. And it goes on and on. So, so we get a sense of righteousness is an opposite of all of these things, right? Um, a little more of a sense, you could turn to Hebrews 12, uh, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness which, without which no one will see the Lord. This holiness, another um, agreement with God, what he has said, his character. So we're to hunger and thirst for these things. Hunger and thirst for all that is good, we could say. Because, brothers and sisters, I think we've learned enough about Jesus Christ to know that all that comes into agreement with him, all that he has said, is good. And I hope he's teaching you that day by day as you press into the word, that you are seeing that. And, and we're going to share, we're going we're to we're actually expound on that in a minute here. But I wanted to give you one more example of what does this look like. Um, well, I wanted to give you an example. What does it look like to hunger and thirst for these things? Dennis read this passage earlier. I love this passage. We're just going to read the first five verses of Psalm 42. As a a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of the Lord. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now what does that have to do with anything that we just talked about? Well, right there we see David, who is described by God as a man after God's own heart. When we get a look inside of his heart, his deep desire at the moment he wrote this was for God and all that God is, but not just that. This hunger and thirst for righteousness is not just to be right with God. It is to be right with God so as to commune with him. 
I have a desire to be right with the law. I don't, no offense, I do not want to spend one minute with a politician. I'm not interested, no matter who he is, I'm not really interested in hanging out with the president. That's just a fact. And I love police officers, but the less time I spend in their car is probably best. Okay? Um, David longs for God and all that he is, but he longs for this righteousness to be with God. Um, we saw that earlier in, in, in Hebrews uh, 4, that without this holiness, we can't be with God in heaven, can we? That is the goal. It's not being right for the sake of being right. It's being right. This hunger and thirst for righteousness is being right with God so we can be with God. This is, the, this is a cry for all that our first parents left behind when they ate of the apple. Do you hear me on this? This hunger and thirst for righteousness is a cry for all that was left behind in the garden. Living under his law, yes. The lack of sin, yes. All that was good. But what made the garden the garden was that God was there with them. And what was the lie that Satan told them? Asked them to trade this communion with God, this living under God's rule for, well, I'll make you a God over here. You can be equal with God. You can be like God. He did not put a satisfaction guarantee on that promise, did he? And in fact, you and I are here and not communing with our Lord face to face because we know how that played out. We mourn for the sin in the world because of that lie. That was believed. You have to sit here, listen to me teaching, <laughs> rather than physically sitting at the feet of God because of that lie. And this hunger and thirst for righteousness, as we said, is that cry within us for God and his law and communion with him. And in fact, Paul tells us, um, we t it was, again, we talked about this in Sunday school. Paul tells us that God has written his law on the hearts of men. Whether we know it or not, we are all crying out to be right with God. We just don't all know it yet. We don't all know, we don't know what that emptiness that needs to be satisfied is. So righteousness is being right with God. All that he has declared, his character, this hunger and thirst for righteousness, what is that? That is, that is a cry to be right with God. It is a deep desire to be right with God, but not just right with God, but to be with God, to commune with God. 
And what is the promise? Pretty simple. I mean, it's, it's a few simple words. They shall be satisfied. Now, how is that possible? How is that possible? Because if you've been following along, we have already seen that we are poor in spirit. So, our hearts cry out in agreement when we read in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we read that no one is righteous, no, not one. We, the Word has brought us to that point. Jesus has told us that, look, unless your righteousness, your, your compliance with my law and my character, unless that surpasses the level of the Pharisees, you ain't getting in. So how is this even possible? If it's nothing I can do, if, if, if I'm not going to be able to attain perfection, I'm to pursue these things, but I just get the sense, if this is all the information I have, I'm getting the sense here that I'm not going to be satisfied. You know, if the Pharisees who were sitting there were honest with themselves, they probably snorted when Jesus said this. They were probably patting themselves on the back there for a second when Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And they said, oh yeah. <sighs> we got this. And then Jesus said, you will be satisfied. Well, if they were honest with themselves, they probably said, well, you know, I'm not satisfied. The truly devout would have to be honest and say that they haven't been perfect in their pursuit and their execution of pursuing righteousness. How is this possible? How are we going to be satisfied? Well, it's a good question. It's a great question. Um, I will have you turn to, I lost my, my place here. Let's turn to Romans. Romans 9, I should think. No, Romans 3. Sorry. I uh, changed Bibles at the last minute. I wanted to bring the big one up here. We're going to read uh, Romans 3. Boy, we could, we could read this whole, whole chapter, and I, I encourage you to do so after this uh, sermon. Uh, maybe I'll give that to you as your homework. Read this whole chapter. But we're going to start in verse 21. And if your Bible has titles, you already got a clue as to, to how this righteousness 
that we even have access to this. My title is Righteousness of God Through Faith. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He may be just and the justice of the one who has faith in Jesus. The one who is sitting on that hilltop telling them, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness is being called the manifestation of God's righteousness. He's going to die because the people sitting around him and because the people here and the person talking fall short of the glory of God. And he goes to that death willingly, perfectly, joyfully for your salvation and for his Father's glory and for his glory. And in all that, he's continuing to display righteousness. And we will be satisfied. God's righteousness will be satisfied. I really can't expound on those words anymore. I mean, it's right there on the page in front of you. Think about that. So we pursue these things? Yes. We hunger for these things? Yes. Are you and I going to get there perfectly? Are we going to be able to do this perfectly? No. We're going to experience... We're going to satisfaction every day, every morning as we get up and we go to the seat of mercy and he extends that grace. As we confess our sins, he extends that grace and we are satisfied. And we're going to experience satisfaction for all of eternity as we have communion with God, as we sit at his feet. We don't have to listen to lesser teachers. We don't have to watch video classes. To sit at his feet, just as those disciples did, except it'll be in glory. And I'm not even going to attempt to describe that scene. I'm not even going to make a stab at that. Let's close out, if we could, if you can tolerate jumping around in your Bible one more time, as maybe an encouragement. Maybe an exhortation from Isaiah 55. Maybe we can think about the things that we are striving for, the things that we are hunger foring, hungering, hung. Ooh. Words are hard after 12. Maybe we can think about 
what it is that we are striving for, what it is that we hunger for, what it is that is utmost priority to us. And don't give me the right answer. Give me the honest answer inside your head. You don't have to say it out loud. But I would encourage you to strive after the things of God, what He has said, His character, His ways. This is how this is described. Isaiah 55, it's an invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And you labor for which that, for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I make him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His ways and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that He may have compassion on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I would just encourage you as we close out today. Now, we just took uh, really broad strokes in looking at righteousness. There's so many, so many aspects that we could talk about, expound upon, but my encouragement is come and eat Good food. Come to the Word. Come to the Lord. Press into Him. Are you dissatisfied with life? Are you dissatisfied with your efforts? Come to the Lord. No, you're not going to be perfect in this life, but Jesus Christ has taken care of that. This righteousness that satisfies completely, wholly, is accessible through faith in Christ Jesus. So if you've never never called on the Lord. Maybe this is the time. Maybe, maybe now is the time to give up the fight and stop seeking after this worthless food. And brothers and sisters, like me, maybe you, you go to this text and you realize that you're just putting a lot of effort and a lot of stock in things that are just not worth anything. Press into the Lord. Press into his word, his character. And I would just end with this. I was trying to convince one of my Catholic friends to come to church today. And you know who you are, so I'm calling you out, brother. Um, we have a good relationship. We can tease each other. But he did make a statement this morning. He said, ignorance of the word is ignorance of Christ. 
And I thought, that's beautiful. It's a little harsh, but it's beautiful. I'll leave you with that because I love you guys. So let's close in prayer.